Hello, and welcome to episode 166 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined with a plethora of fueligans today. First up, Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. And Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy-ho. And Phil Fariska. Hey, everybody. And rounding out the crew today, the return of Brittany Mullins. Hey, hey. You had to you had to wedge yourself into this one, huh? You were excited about yeah. the topic. I was really excited about this one. Yeah. The, so this episode today is gonna. We're not sure how it's gonna go. Let's call it an experiment. We uh, we've never done this format before, but typically we only have four fuel guns. We've got a fifth today because we're gonna be having a deep discussion about something that should be near and dear to everyone's heart, and that is what the heck's going on with society right now. And we're going to try to spin it from a hotel perspective and a marketing perspective, but we've all been fascinated, thanks to Melissa, with this documentary that is on Netflix right now called The Social Dilemma. So if you haven't seen that, I would suggest pausing this right now, going and watching that, and then coming back and and listening to this episode at a later date because there will be spoilers ahead. We're going to be talking about specifics that happen in that documentary, our take on it, and what it means for you as a hotel marketer. So... That's your spoiler alert right there, guys. Everyone should buckle up because this could be an interesting ride. And we're also going to shed light on in this episode on a couple of things like what's the difference between a bowler hat and a derby hat because that is a heated debate that we just had prior to starting recording. So stay stay tuned to the end and we'll, we'll reveal the difference if, if you want. So, all righty. I'm going to flip the script, guys. Because I'm excited about something. What is it? What is it? One, 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 one. <laughs> this is my one excited. Uh, so you know how we've been like really over the top asking for reviews recently? Yeah. And you know how we got two last week? Two entire whole reviews. <laughs> Both were five star. Well, guess what? We got what? two more. We got two more. Two whole more reviews this week. So us asking for reviews is working. So if you have not left a review for the show yet, please go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go ahead and leave a review like these fine fellas, which Pete's going to read out right now. What? I wasn't expecting to do it now, but here we go. All right. The first review comes from Shane and says, Every tourism marketer should subscribe. There's always something new to learn and reminders of what is important. This is a great podcast for anyone in the hotel or tourism industry. Mark, or uh, I messed this up, but Shane needs to type better. Anyway, he's saying (laughs) (laughs) anyone the hotel or tourism marketing should be listening to. Thanks for your review, Shane. Too bad Pete can't read. Yeah, it's not that I can't read. Oh, don't don't do that. Like we can't we can't attack everyone that leaves us a review because then there's no incentive for people to leave reviews so uh, we got to take no, the blame here it was pete's fault that 100%. is completely my fault my yeah. derby hat is a little bit too tight and how how many or is it a bowler hat mm, stay tuned to find out um so how many stars did chain give us he gave us all of them he gave us all five. Ooh, all the and you stars. know who else gave us all five who's that rich 61 did Ooh. and he said great info this podcast always has great information for hotel marketing. I've listened from the beginning and am able to implement strategy, strategies and tactics suggested. 
It's the perfect blend of humor, strategy, and tactics. Great job, Fuel Team. The perfect blend of humor. That I like that. That's really good. Now, what I neglected to say, Pete, was that uh, Rich had emailed us in again, like because they're not putting him in the reviews what accent they want, but they they said they wanted us to read that one in Klingon. So go go ahead and do that if you don't mind. Snorklick, snorklick, snorklick. I don't know. Was that, that a it? drowning Klingon? What was that? I don't know. Uh, it sounded right to me. Well, I don't know what Darth Vader sounds rich. like. <laughs> You're so funny. Confusing Star Trek and Star Wars. I love it. There's so many people angry right now. But we appreciate the, the love. We appreciate the reviews. We always love to get emails too. So if you just don't feel like leaving a review, but you just want to send us a note and have ideas for future shows, info at fueltravel.com is the best place to do that. We recently got one, which, spoiler alert, we're actually going to be doing uh, next week. We're going to be doing an episode on Cyber Monday and how to take advantage of that thanks to a listener. So stay tuned for next week's episode when you can learn all about that. So thank you for any ideas you submit. We really, really appreciate it. So... Before. I think that there's a lesson learned here for hotel marketers already. What's that? See, we asked for reviews and then we got them. Ooh. So as a hotel marketer, maybe you should continue to ask your uh, guests for reviews so that you can continue to get them. Ask and ye shall receive. You know, and the good oh. thing about reviews is you learn every time, right? You learn what people like, you learn what they don't like, whether they're five star or not. People are more likely to do something if you ask them to do it. That That is a truth if ever I heard one, which we'll probably tap on that a little bit later on in the uh, in the main part of the show when we're talking about the social dilemma. So before we jump into that, let's see what's going on in the news of ruse. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news of ruse. Good job, Pete. That was a, that was a standard rendition. We're not going to get letters of people offended by your really bad southern accent. So, good job. Hey. What's, what's going on in the newsroom? So, uh, I saw an email or uh, an article from eMarketer.com talking about how the U.S. travel digital ad spending is pretty much tanking this year, as you might ex- might expect. So, um, they anticipate by end of year, overall digital ad spend will be down 41% year over year. Wait, stop. I think that's a stat of the week. Oh, controversy right here. Second jingle time. It's stat of the week, stat of the week, stat of the week. Wow, we're combining newsaroos and stand of the week. This, this, I mean, this is why we win awards, guys. Right here, this, I mean, this innovation, and I mean, never, never before done. In the, in when the your news contains stats, yeah, you don't always get stataroos, but when you do, they're awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Bill, go on. No worries, I, I appreciate it. So, yeah, uh, eMarketer. They estimate that spend in the travel market will be about $3.24 billion by end of the year, uh, and that is actually down 41% compared to last year. Um, and they, uh, pre-pandemic, they were estimating year-over-year growth of 29%. So this is you know, si- significant, right? And then they yeah. did a, little, uh, a, f- a few predictions for, for next year as well. Uh, they anticipate that the travel industry will get a 15.3% growth rate in ad spend, um, while they anticipate growth for all other markets nationwide at 21.1%. Uh, so 
they're they're assuming travel will not be on the same level as the rest of the other verticals, probably due to the fact that um, some public some of the public will still be a little weary to travel. Um, I think I think the takeaway here is you know this is pretty much what we expected. Um, we we don't anticipate to be spending as much as we did last year, just just based on the whole first half of the year and 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 even in today today really. But um, think if you if you want to win in twenty twenty one, just go back and listen to our previous podcasts about how you maximize that ad spend, reach the right audience at the right time with the right message, and. Uh, don't be a don't be a victim and just say, well, we shouldn't spend on on ads this year. Um, you can spend, just spend the right way. Yeah, it's this is this is interesting. This could be a whole episode on its own because there's so much nuance to to what this story implies. You know, there's a lot about the fact that demand is going to be lower, but also if there's less competition, the cost is going to be lower. So maybe you can get more exposure. And, one of the interesting things that we're seeing right now is people are doing have different approaches and different strategies related to their ad spend. And, and we know historically that when you spend through a downturn, especially if you spend more than your competition, you tend to gain market share at a, at a very accelerated rate. And we've seen that for a lot of our clients who did continue to, to spend money through COVID-19. Now what's happening is a lot of people... You know, keep in mind that a lot of our clients are in summer destinations like beach hotels and things like that. We're seeing some where they're in the same location as others. And we've actually got some really good A-B tests kind of going on right now because different groups are taking different approaches. But through September, a lot of these guys were, were having the same approach, spending about the same and doing about the same. But now we've got a scenario where some of them have pulled back dramatically in October on their advertising and some have not. So we can see in real time what this is doing to demand. And i got to tell you, although it's early, we've only just started looking at this data, it, it does suggest that there's a massive impact by pulling back too far on advertising. Now, having said that, you've got to make sure you're also spending money on your owned assets, making sure that you're maximizing you know, your website infrastructure, your, your CRM and your database and doing the things that you control because the end of the day, ads are a leased space and you have to continue to pay for that again and again and again to, to gener- continue to generate demand. So it's really a balancing act. As, as you begin to fill, figure out your, your uh, marketing mix for the next 3, 6, 12 months, the one thing I would say is, one, you've got to make sure you, you're tracking this really, really effectively. And two, you've got to be re- ready to move really, really quickly based on market conditions about your financial position, you, the demand that's there. So this is going to be hard. I mean, that's why we're here to help you navigate this and give you ideas and things you can try. But you've got to really be paying attention almost to, on a daily basis at this point of what's working, what's not, and where you should be spending and not spending. Well, I think you I think you made a good point there, Stuart, talking about owned assets. And I know that our clients that did not pull back on their advertising spend when everyone else did, well, guess what? They generated a whole bunch of extra owned assets and new guests and new email addresses and information on those guests. So uh, pulling back, you know, if you have to, to keep the lights on, we totally understand that. But if you still have the ability to spend on marketing and bring in new guests for a cheaper price than you typically would because there's less competition, we definitely recommend that. And it's really more valuable now than it's ever been before to get a new guest, especially because one of the the 
shifts we've seen in behavior, and keep in mind, if you've been listening to the show, you, you've been following our sentiment studies. If you haven't, go back and listen to previous episodes. But in volume 10 of our consumer sentiment study, 53% of people have already traveled, which is more than half the people. So that that's the majority of people have now traveled. I think everyone talking today, uh, Brittany, have you traveled yet? you got yes. two young kids. You have? Okay. So everyone on here has traveled already th- this year. So um, the majority of people are going to continue to travel. But one of the things that's really interesting is people are traveling to new places, doing new things they haven't done before, but they're also traveling more frequently. So th- you've got a good chance not only to get someone for the first time, but you've got a good chance if you do get them for the first time to convince them if they have a good time to come back again and again throughout the, sp- the fall, the-, the winter, and the spring. So... Paying, paying to get someone in is great, but you've got to make sure you've got the mechanism to keep them coming back. You've got a great CRM, great processes in place, and you give them a great experience. Amen. All right. Well, that was a good news slash stat of the week. So thanks for the combo there, team. Let's move into the topic at hand, though, shall we? So again, if you haven't watched this, The Social Dilemma is on. It's available on Netflix. It's, what is it, an hour and a half long? Somewhere between yep. an hour and a half and two hours. Uh, so the premise of this is that there's a lot of ex-executives that were a very hands-on and instrumental in the early days of social media. They're talking to folks that were at the beginning of Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube. Uh, these are people that were really instrumental in the forming of what social media is. They were very intimately knowledgeable about how and why things were done the way they were. And over time, they've gotten um, concerned about the impact that social media is having on individuals and on society. And they talk a lot in the show about the, the deliberate way in which they manipulate people, the deliberate way in, in which they addict people to their platforms, and how it, it's probably time something needs to be done about it because it's, it's obviously creating a lot of problems. So that's the, the sort of the premise from a 30,000 foot view, but... Melissa, this was this was your baby. You wanted to do this episode. So you want to kick us off and kind of give us some of the, the takeaways that you got from it, some of the things that scared you? Sure. But first, I want to take a little bit of issue with using the word documentary as it pertains to this film. <laughs> because some of it, yes, I agree, is documentary. But some of it is just made up entertainment. So I'm calling it docutainment. Okay. I, I think that's fair. They definitely you know, create a narrative through it. There, there's there's stuff where they dramatize certain things that that aren't you know real. So I, I would agree. That makes with sense. That. I mean, you got to figure from our perspective, we're all very tech savvy and we understand somewhat of the ins and outs of Facebook and social media. But they had to create that visual for somebody who just sees it from the very top level, right? Who hasn't started peeling the onion at all. You got to make it relatable in some way. Yeah. Well, well, not only are we technical, but we're also marketers. So we understand things like how psychology can influence people's decisions. A lot of people don't realize how easily they can be manipulated. So, so yes, going back to that. So I, I agree with a lot of what those executives were saying in their interviews about the impacts that their early on decisions that were, you know, not evil in making um, have 
sort of made their way into society and are having a much bigger impact, I think, than they ever could have anticipated when they made those decisions. So you had the guy from Facebook who was brought on very early on and was literally told, you're the guy who's going to figure out how to make money off of this software. That's your job. How are we going to monetize this? And I think it's important to note that um, just because companies are in existence to make money doesn't make them evil. We're all in business to make money. It doesn't make you an evil, horrible human being because you work for a company that is out to make money. Well, and and I- just like from a hotelier's perspective, you want to give your guests what you think that they want. And you know what they want by paying attention to them, watching their behavior. If nobody goes to your pool deck, you either fix the pool deck or you tear it up and put something in that they want. And that's kind of the natural progression that Facebook or Twitter or whatever platform you're looking at has gone through. It's made itself more and more and more engaging to do what you what they want you to do, which is to stay on their platform. Well, but there's a fundamental difference, right? And I think this is something that not the, the average person doesn't get and doesn't realize. Right? In, in the case of a hotel, our customer is the guest, right? In the case of Facebook, the customer isn't the user. The customer is the advertiser. The person paying their money is, is the advertiser. The user, us, that use the social plat- platform are the product. They're selling us. So we're the hotel well, in that would case. Disagree. Well, in their official response, they say you are not the product. Facebook is funded by advertising, so it remains free for the people. But that's nonsense. If <laughs> something's free, if you're not paying for it, then you are the product. You are the product. Are the product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I'll play that. I'm looking at their feedback that Facebook put out, contracting or contrasting the movie to to what they want you to believe. Sure. More propaganda. But Facebook but Facebook wouldn't have a successful advertising platform if they didn't have people using their using social media, using Facebook for hours and hours and hours and hours. So I disagree with them a little bit there. I mean, I know I feel like that's a little bit to save face, but I think they do want people engaging as much as possible. Of course. Because that's how they get those leads warmed up for advertisers. Yep. The longer you spend on the platform, the more money they make from you. That I mean, it's, it's clear that their incentive is to keep you as engaged as possible. And one of the examples of that that they talked about on this documentary is the, the tagging system. So if you on Facebook get tagged by a friend in a photo, they send you an email or they send you a notification. But that notification on that email doesn't contain the photo that you were tagged in it contains a link to go back into Facebook because they know by doing that, you're likely to go down a rabbit hole of more stuff on Facebook because they know how to grab your attention. Their job is to get you back into the platform every time you leave it. This is why notifications are so critical. I like that example because even in the documentary, they say if Facebook was just trying to help the users, they would have included the photo itself. So you, you look at it, you see, oh, Stuart tagged me in a photo. Here's the photo. Okay, close. But th- their job is is to put hooks in the water and just get you coming back over and right. over again. And, and, and I think it's when they get you back on the platform is is really where they start their 
they're learning, right? So learning about you. So when they started talking about, you know, they know exactly how long someone views each individual post. So they get them back on the platform and the person starts scrolling to find, you know, the photo they were tagged in. Well, there's things along the way in their feed. And each time they, they scroll down, they may look at something else and it's tracked how long they view something. Well, in that time, they're learning exactly what someone would engage with. And that's how they build things like the like the audiences we use as advertisers. That's how they they build those things. They find out what each individual engages with most. Um, and then that's how they build things like what we call in market audiences where, oh, you know, somebody is actually interested in this product might be wanting to buy said product. Um, just just by saying, you know, they clicked on it or they viewed it for a very long time, then then they fall into these groups. And then these are the groups that we push the ad to. And that can be the the right person, the right time. Uh, and and we, we use that stuff. So getting the people back to the platform and then learning more and more and more and more about them. Uh, to me, I know it sounds super creepy, but at the end of the day, that's that's how all of the advertising works around this whole thing. Well, and if we, if we as hoteliers were Facebook and we had that budget and we had the massive audience, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to say that we wouldn't go down that exact same route over time because you're constantly optimizing the experience for all of your KPIs. So I, I think one of the things about this whole video is it's not saying that, Facebook started out to be evil by any sense of the word, or they are. It's just the natural progression of that's what's going to happen over time as you optimize and optimize and optimize for your KPIs. But the, pro the problem is the difference now is that there's no regulation. There's no third party that's protecting people from this. So there's nothing wrong with what Facebook are doing, right? But it's no different than, say, a, a land developer. That, that wants to demolish as much natural resources as possible and destroy all of the rainforest because their job is to build condos. But at some point, the government steps in and says, well, this is not good for society. This is not good for the majority of people for you to do this. And no one's doing that with, yet with Facebook. We're having congressional hearings, but no one's raising the flag and saying, hey, you're doing mass manipulation that's impacting elections, it's impacting conspiracy theories, it's in impacting where people choose to live without them realizing that they're being manipulated. That, that's yeah, that's my problem. There's no regulation. They make that analogy, I think, at the end of the documentary, or what did you call it, Melissa? Docutainment. Docu <laughs> Docu um, of, you know, a tree is worth more dead than it is alive, you know, in the present time. But we all know that we need the trees to create oxygen and breathe for a longer period of time. So uh, we need to figure out how to create a balance of the whole thing. Yeah. And and it is, and it's not going to get self-regulated, right? There's no way that the Facebooks of the world, because they're beholden to shareholders, that their KPIs have to continue to grow. They're not going to stop. Zuckerberg's not going to come out tomorrow and say, hey, we're going to stop doing this part of our business that makes us this many billions of dollars because we believe it's it's eroding the fabric of society because they would lose their market value overnight you know they'd go to zero so 
there has to be third party regulation. And I'm, I'm more of a libertarian than anything else. And I don't usually think regulation or government interference should happen. I believe in free markets. But in this case, I think there's so much harm being done. And unless a third party steps in, it's going to get out of control. And one person even said, where does this inevitably end up? And I, I, there's a point at which, from where we are today to the day after the election this year, and I don't want this to turn into a political debate, but there's a point at which you could go down a path that ends in civil war in North America. It, it's it's unlikely, but you could you could definitely make an argument that it's possible because of the division that's being created primarily by social media. Well, and the division is being created by the creation of those echo chambers where you only see the things that you want to see, which means you're not your getting exposed to alternate. Yeah. Right, so you're not getting exposed to the alternate positions of, and then try to find that middle ground. You know, everyone goes you know farther in each direction, but there's nobody left in the middle to kind of peacefully live. Right, everyone has to pick a side, and those algorithms that Facebook and Twitter and all those put in place lead you to that because, in reality, if you look at what the algorithm's trying to do, it's trying to do the best thing for the customer to keep them engaged. Yeah, well, the best so, thing for the advertiser to be able to target you more is what it's doing. I don't think it's even that. I, I just think it's it's kind of a hack for human nature. You know, we want to feel right. We want to feel that, you know, we're on the winning team and we're getting this, you know, false sense of superiority because we're constantly being fed the stuff that we're already thinking back to us. So I want to flip this out to two things. One is the stuff that you're seeing in your feed, which are your friends, right? Mm -hmm. And the second part is the advertising. They are two very different parts of the social media platform. They're very different. So when I look at my social feed of people that I know, I see every range of opinion because I apparently have a broad range of friends with various opinions and they all hate each other. Apparently <laughs> nobody is right. And everybody is angry. My ads though are about the most appropriately targeted to me that they could possibly be. And as a consumer, I understand Facebook needs to make money. And if I'm going to get served an ad, I'd rather get served an ad that's appropriate to something that I'm interested in. So some days it's exercise videos. Other days, it's tooth cleaning things. Like it's, it's like it's super but hyper. Here's, here's the difference, right? You you're not an average consumer. You understand the difference between what's sure. an ad and what's organic. And I would argue, even if we had the exact same group of friends, which posts we saw from which friends would be different for me and for you. Um, but the, the problem is. For the average consumer, they don't know when they're seeing propaganda or an ad or something that's trying to manipulate them. And the example they gave was Flat Earth and how that's taken off on social media. You could do any conspiracy theory, whether it's chemtrails or QAnon, it doesn't matter. But they, Facebook can tag you as someone that's susceptible to that type of persuasion, to conspiracy theories, and you would be a lot more likely to see other conspiracy theories. That's, that's a problem. Or, and it's not just Facebook. That's what I think is that is one of the things that when Facebook put out um, one of their, you know, things that they do to protect people, they only started removing misinformation and false information, I believe, this year because of COVID. 
Um, so I don't think they've done a very good job of that. And I too, like, I, I feel like my, the ads that I'm served on my Facebook are suited for me. I don't mind them. They don't bother me. But for me, it is the, the crazy amount of misinformation because not everybody, um, I don't know. I guess people use Facebook as their news source now. So it's also like they're only getting fed misinformation because of what they're constantly clicking on or spending time reading on. Well, so here's the the problem is with the algorithm, it doesn't know what misinformation is. And a lot of times real facts start out as conspiracy theory, start out as, you know, misinformation so it is really hard to, you know, Facebook and Twitter, they're in, in a really in a no-win situation as well. Yeah, you know, I think that society is, but they are because they they have to give people what they want and they don't know what's true and what's not until after the fact. And I would go as far as to say that I can't remember where it was in the movie, but somebody said, like, we can't even all agree on what is fact anymore. And I attribute that back to what might as well be social media, which is our news networks, because there's no fact anymore. It's all opinion. Well, but everyone producing that is is in the same trap, right? They're getting fed information that is biased one way or another. And it's not just social media. We we they also gave the example of Google. And this this should scare the crap out of everyone listening. So they gave the example of if you type in to Google climate change is space, the auto suggest is going to be different based on you, based on your geographic location, based on your search history. So if you live somewhere that's very right leaning, it might say climate change is a hoax at number one. But if you were in a very left leaning area, it might say climate change is the biggest threat facing society. So even the search engines are pushing us down a path based on which way we lean. And we talked about on the show last week or the week before about the the um, the Gangnam style algorithm on YouTube. And it's the same thing. We're going to get pushed in an extreme direction based on where we start. So if, if I lean slightly left, I'm going to get pushed to the extreme. If I lean slightly right, I'm going to get pushed to the extreme. There's no room for the middle because everything is based on engagement. And the only way people get engagement is by sensationalizing and exaggerating. Whether that's a news network, whether that's a social post, it doesn't matter. You've got to be shocking. You've got to be different. You've got to you've got to surprise people. You've got to entertain people to an X degree. The only way to do that is to go a little bit further than the guy before. So this is this is a zero-sum game, and, and, and it's going to result in very, very fragmented societies, tribalism like we've never seen before, and it's going to cause massive, massive long-term problems. Unless we wake up, get out of the matrix, and we start focusing on what we can control, which is our own behavior. So this is what freaked me out the most out of everything in that movie was the stats on teens and preteens and the effects it's having on their emotional state, the increase in depression and suicide was, I don't want to say surprising because it didn't really surprise me, but it was still, I, I don't know, it, it really slapped me hard in the face. And I just... Right. And I think, I, I think I, we need to acknowledge I, that we haven't verified their data, right? It, it's a sure, single source that we yeah. don't know, but they claim yeah. that suicide rates are on the increase, depression is on the increase, a lot of 
negative consequences, and they attribute that directly to social media without really proving the the, the association there. I mean, I think it's more of a correlation than, than anything else. But yeah. oh, and and I think that what what we're looking at there is somewhat of what what they talked about an unintended consequence. Mm-hmm. So when when they created the the like button, the thought behind it was there was there's going to be empowerment. Um, the fact that, you know, somebody said they liked your stuff should make you feel good. And they didn't think about the other side of that, where if you post something and nobody likes it, well, then you feel like a loser. You know, I I know I'm simplifying it a bit there, but kind of that, that's what ended up happening when that wasn't the intended result. I don't know that it wasn't the intended result. They understood psychology. They understood neurochemistry. They understood what dopamine hits do to the brain in terms of addiction and us wanting more. So they knew that every time you saw a like on your post, you were going to get that little dopamine hit and it's going to make you want it even more next time. And and next time you're going to need two hits. And the next time you're going to need four hits. So it, it forces us to get into this competition with ourselves to, to outdo what we did last time every single time. It's just like a drug. And they even said on this, sh- on this documentary, mockumentary, intermonocular, whatever you want to call it, it they, they said the only two categories that use users as their customers are drug pushers and software developers. The only two. And, and it's very yeah. true, right? We, we try to, yeah. social media tries to addict us. We're users of the tool. And the more we use the tool, the better. So if you can leverage things like dopamine to in, in the brain to make people more likely to do something, then it, it's in your advantage to do it. Well, I mean, and, and bringing this back to a, you know, a business sense here, what they're doing is is the best thing for them what you're, you're creating that addicting environment so w- one of the things that they mentioned was their use of a b testing and they did it on such a broad scale we don't necessarily get to do that but we can do some of the things that they that they talked about in there so they got to con- constantly be testing things small little tiny tweaks something like a like button whatever what they determined was, you know, their end goal was more engagement, keep people on the platform. Like from from our end goal, we're looking to get people through the conversion funnel and making making them book. So, taking those little tweaks that that, you know, little t- tiny tweaks to the website, little tiny tweaks within the booking engine, and and we've done it with with our own booking engine in terms of. You know things like fear of missing out or social proof. Um, you know, social proof, things like that, where we know that people respond better to those type of things to get to our end goal of making a booking. You know, we we implement that just just the same. I mean, I guess I I, I don't think it has such a negative effect. <laughs> yeah. What we're talking. Yeah, the worst case scenario for us is everyone goes on vacation. The worst case for them is everyone kills each other. True, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, it. And Melissa's right. You should always be testing here. That's where they but learned it, by the way. They they listened to the show. They heard Melissa they say that. Finally. Uh, but regardless of what it is, if you're constantly working to optimize, everything is going to become Facebook. Our booking engine will become Facebook <laughs> because you're you're constantly getting people engaged with the platform, and Facebook pushes them through their conversion funnel. And we've said this yeah. before a hundred times. They have created the perfect mousetrap. <laughs> Yeah, and keep in mind that as an advertiser, your job is to break the customer out of all of those billions of dollars spent 
from getting them out of their conversion funnel to put them into your conversion funnel. And Facebook gives you the tools to do it. It's just a, it's a tall order yeah. to make it happen. Well, you've, you've always made this point, Pete, and I think it's it's a good one about that. You know, if if you send people to their conversion funnel, you've lost them. They're distracted, and so the one of the big mistakes that people still make to this day is on their homepage. They have massive promotion of their Facebook page or their Twitter feed or whatever it is, and they try to drive people from their website to their social media channels. This is the worst thing. It's the opposite of what you should be doing. Facebook should exist in this hub-and-spoke kind of mentality where the hub is your website and everything else is a spoke that's driving traffic to the website. Facebook should drive people to your website. Your website should never, ever drive people to your Facebook page. It's the worst thing you can do. All the social media channels probably have meetings where they laugh at their advertisers for putting those buttons on their site. Where's the line between being a responsible marketer and being a manipulative marketer, right? Because one of the things um, the ex, you know, presidents and CEOs of those social platforms were saying is it's all manipulation. And where's the line? Like what makes, you know, kind of like Melissa said, not all, businesses are evil because they're trying to make money so where where do you draw the line i think the line is the line is do no evil i mean google used to have that as their part of their mission statement and they took it out and since they've taken it out i feel like this is the type of stuff that we're seeing so as a marketer you if you draw that line for yourself in the sand of do no evil we're here to accomplish our goal of you know, bringing you into our, our hotel and having you enjoy our experience, then then you're doing the right thing. If, you're, if your goal is, let me manipulate someone into thinking that my hotel is something that it's not, um, and, you're, and you're deceiving somebody to achieve your end goal, then you're doing the wrong thing. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's where I draw the line. It, it's tough, right, to even think about a line because the reality is all marketing, all advertising specifically is – manipulation right you're trying to influence someone to do something they wouldn't have done without seeing it like that by definition that's like what advertising is time right this isn't new but it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad because if i receive if i'm influenced by something that improves the quality of my life somehow then that's that's a win-win right i'm, I'm willing to receive value in exchange for for money and and stay at a nice hotel is is absolutely something valuable to me for the memories and the relaxation so I, I think you've got to look at what is your intent, right? Is, is your intent to benefit yourself or is it to benefit the guest? Most people get into hospitality because they genuinely like people. They want to help people. And if you, if you have that lens through which you look at everything you do, I think, I think it's, it's, it's not really a line, but I think it's a framework by which you can make decisions. An example would be if you're getting bad reviews, right? If, if your reviews start saying um, the rooms aren't clean, there's a couple of ways you can deal with that. One would be, I'm going to go write a bunch of fake reviews and trick a bunch more people to come stay in my dirty rooms. The other would be to understand why are the rooms all of a sudden not meeting expectations. Did I overpromise, and do I need to reset my 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 messaging, or did operationally did something change? Are we not training the staff properly? Are we are we cutting costs somehow? So understanding what's causing the problem and fixing it. That, that's the right thing to do, right? In, in most people's cases, if they're looking out for the interest of the customer. So I think if you, if you bring everything to that kind of framework and look at it through that lens, I think you, it kind of keeps you honest, stops you going down a wrong path. Facebook are not going down that path anymore.
that's the takeaway, right, from a hotelier or honestly any marketer's perspective is you kind of have to stay in your lane to the extent where Facebook is a thing. It's a fantastic platform to advertise on. And you just have to make sure that the way you use that platform is indicative of your values, of your property, of how you want to treat your guests. Once you start going down that gray hat, black hat type route of, you know, using it nefariously, then you run into problems. But we're not going to solve Facebook's problems or the world's problems. But what we can do is do the best we can with our guests. Yeah. Well, and also as individuals, right? So, so I, I think it'd be remiss of us not to acknowledge the fact that the the people listening to this are also human beings, right? So, they they as we are are all susceptible to the same risks that, that this documentary talked about, which is addiction, which is um, social isolation, which is neglect of things that really matter in the real world. So. I, I think for me, it was a good reminder. I'm not someone that's really heavily using social media because I have a, an addictive personality. I know if I did and I let myself, it could get a little crazy for me. So I don't I don't really post on social media. But some of the things you can do, I mean, one for me personally, I've been practicing mindfulness med- meditation for several years now. And it's it's phenomenal because what it's trained my brain to do over time is to really be conscious about the decisions I make. I don't enter into anything without choosing to do it. So I don't just go on autopilot. If I open Facebook, I'm going there for a specific purpose. It's not just a habit. So things like mindfulness meditation can really help. But one of the guys on the on the documentary also said, turn off all of your notifications. The notifications aren't there to help you in any way. The only thing notifications are there to do is to drag you back into the to the system so you can get more of a hit of the drug. Turn off your notifications. Have specific times that you're going to check those platforms, specific times that you're going to be on those platforms, and then monitor your usage. The, the other exercise that they did on this, which was really interesting, is they'd ask people, especially kids, and say, how much time are you spending on average on the system, on Facebook, whatever, Snapchat, and then actually looking at how much time it was. And there was a big discrepancy between what they thought they were spending and what they were actually spending. So then set yourself some goals and say, I'm only going to spend 30 minutes a day. That was one of the things that I took. It might have been, it might have been actually when the credits were rolling. And they, they said something like limiting people's screen times. And I think they were referring to kids. But I think just, this, could, this could go for anybody. Yeah, so everyone. You know, tell, no, you, tell yourself. It's allow their kids to have social media accounts. Yeah, all the kids were not on that. I think that's the one thing I know this is not (laughs) hotel marketing related, but I think that was the one thing that blew my mind um, the most is that how young these kids uh, kids are that have social media. Yeah, and then what they said was, you know, tell ask ask your kid or just just for yourself, ask yourself how long do you think you should spend on that phone today. And, and even kids will come up with a somewhat reasonable answer. And if you limit yourself to what you think you should spend, it's probably a reasonable amount of time. If you just let yourself go at it and don't think about it, you're going to spend way more time on there than you think you should. You've got to be mindful about it. I will say this. There's a lot of data that suggests, and anecdotally, I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old son, too. That need, My 12-year-old doesn't have any social media accounts. My 14-year-old just has... Um, Instagram for right now, he's begging for Snapchat and I haven't given it to him yet, even though all his friends do it. But his generation, these Zoomers that are coming up, 
I don't think they're going to be as addicted to devices as people think they are. I don't think they're going to be as addicted to devices as millennials are. I think these guys are going to be growing up in a world where it was already really established. They see their parents addicted to devices and they are, are actually, in my experience, they are valuing in-person social contact more. And I think this COVID thing being probably another generational defining moment like 9-11 was, I think COVID could be something that's actually really good for that generation. I think it could push them to the other extreme where they, they reject technology in, in, in the way that we've been using it for the last 10 years, and they really use it as a as an augmentation to their social interactions. These kids want to hang out together, and they're not on their devices when they're hanging out all the time. At least that's yeah. what I'm experiencing. That's refreshing to hear. Yeah, you, hope it, you hope it doesn't lead to, you hope it leads to exactly what you said, Story, and not the, the tribalism that it has seemed to lead to with you know, my generation, for sure. Yeah, I'm telling you what, these Zoomers have got a lot of things figured out. They're very entrepreneurial. They're very much aware of the world around them. And they're very super mind, mindful of, you know, if you look at the activism that's going on, a lot of people said that millennials were really into activism. These guys are off the charts into that. What it, It's just, it's a different breed coming up right now. And I, I'm actually really hopeful for these Zoomers coming up. I, I wish you were right, but I compl- I think you're wrong. And I say that because everything in Facebook's algorithm is the exact opposite of what you're saying. But these and, kids aren't on Facebook. That's the point. Their parents well, are on that, Facebook. That's not, or, or social media. And I'm the biggest libertarian of the group, and there needs to be some regulation. You know, kind of going back to Saturday morning cartoons where they had that little jingle, you know, after these messages, we'll be right back. You that doesn't exist on social media, so they're just constantly inundated with all that information. If it's ads, if it's social engineering, they don't know. And some kids are going to go outside, but I'm telling you, even with with my own kids, it's like, okay, guys, get off the phones. Come on, it's just bad parenting, Pete. I just definitely think I definitely think parenting has a lot. To, I have a I have a, a neighbor that has a. I think a 16 year old and a just turned 18 year old or something like that. And they're just caught like any time I'm around them or over at the house, they're just constantly like on the phone. Kara, and, the only thing Kara has is Pinterest. And she just got that like two days ago. They're not on, she's not on anything else. And she's 14 or she's turning 14. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, I think, I think when Melissa and I first started talking about this, um, like before we had ever decided to do a podcast on it, I was just like, well, where are the parent? Like, where are the parents with these kids? Like, why don't just take the phone away? Don't give They're, them a phone. Don't let the them have their shit on their phones. Well, because a lot of times it, it's not quite that simple. You can't just take a phone away for no reason. Like, if you see them on it when they're not supposed to be, then that's a problem. But, yeah, but well, no, I disagree with that. But you can do whatever you want. Too. You're a parent. You can 100% right. do whatever you want your kid within reason, as long as it's legal. I, Absolutely. My but, mother... But I'm, I'm, you have to... You, you can't just go put those... You can't go take their phone away unless they've broken some well, rule. You, you can. You can do the opposite. You can say you only get your phone when you meet these conditions. It, and, this and that's is my phone. We, we I'm we paying for it. You get it at these... Yeah, I think it's... But you can I, set I any boundary majority, you want, dude. I think, yeah. I think the majority of people don't do that, and it's like 
um, I guess for me, I don't like, I don't there, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in high school. And obviously I didn't have a smartphone because we didn't have smartphones that time, but you know, it was like, this is a cell phone for calling us to pick you up from after school activities. And playing and, worm. You could play worm on it, probably. Remember the Nokia <laughs> no, phones with like, worm? I don't think you play any games. But I had I don't I had a really crappy first phone. Um I barely text. I mean, we still called each other on like our like our home phones to talk to each other. Um but I don't know. I think I think parents okay, have boomer. To- <laughs> It's, it's really how ha- what what it was, um, but I don't I don't think parents. I, I think some of that entitlement comes from parents just not stepping up with some of that. Um, so I don't know. I rem- my mom would put a basket at the table. If my brothers would be on their phones during dinner. Dinner, she'd make everybody throw their basket their phone in. Yeah, that's smart. All right, let's get this oh, back yeah, on track. Let's let's yeah. let's kind of bring this back to hotel marketing and. And what some of the takeaways and tangible things. So, so from my perspective, I think it's important to understand that there are there are tools out there that you can leverage. There are tactics that you can implement within those tools that help favor you, not necessarily manipulate, but persuade people to to do the things that are in their interest, but also benefit you from a hotel perspective. I think that needs to be the focus from this. Yeah, I I mean my my two main marketing takeaways was. You know, utilizing the ad platform to its fullest for for yourself and and using the audiences that they I mean if you watch this documentary you get to see that the craziness uh, of what it takes to build an audience so you utilizing those and then also the a b testing to get someone to do exactly what you want them to do uh, but it takes a lot of testing to get there which these platforms have done time and time and time again to get them to this place where we're talking about this as the most addicting thing on the planet. So just taking little snippets out of what they've done and implementing it for yourself in a, um, you know, altruistic way. I don't know how to, how to say it, not, not manipulative way. Uh, but, but utilizing what they've done to, to create this type of environment for yourself is it's okay. Just don't, don't cross that line. We talked about of, you know, uh, deceiving people. Well, any other takeaways? Just, just, I would say be a good hotelier and think of your guests first, <laughs> no matter what platform you're using. If it's email content development or social, be of a, a servant to your guests and a lot of that stuff will fall into place because Isn't that always the answer, man. It always it comes is, back. Because you're, not gonna, you're not going to solve this problem. You know, it's, I'm glad everyone's listening to this podcast and it's you're a good podcast user <laughs> and and you need to come back for your drug in one more week when we yeah. post the next and episode. And don't forget to leave a review. Yeah. And don't forget to leave a review. But you know, in, in general, I think we kind of have to just, you know, focus on being the best hotel, your best marketer and best person we can be. And a lot of this stuff is, it's out of our control. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of sad, but yeah, you're right in terms yeah. of focusing on our business the word that always comes to mind, and, and it's always funny, whenever I'm doing a presentation and I kind of running out of how do I wrap this up or tie, put a bow on this in the end, it always comes back to this word and it's being an innkeeper, just being that traditional hospitality person with hospitality in your heart. If you do that, 
the rest does, as you said, kind of fall in line. I think that's that's we can't ever lose sight of that. These things out there are tools that we can use, but the the, the core of hospitality is about connecting people with people in real life. And so, don't ever lose that that piece of of your business because it's it's really the core of why you do it and what you should be doing to drive success. Hi, right, Melissa. Is your is your you want to wrap it up, Melissa? This is your your baby. Any final so, thoughts? I'm gonna tag on to what you just said and it's a people to people thing and that's really i mean that is how facebook works and other social media they're connecting people with other people and the thing is is that i do feel like this movie was quite a bit of fear mongering and i just want to make sure that we're all understanding that nobody has a gun to anybody's head and forcing somebody to use facebook so it's okay if you're running ads on Facebook and don't feel guilty about running ads on Facebook because if you're doing it right and you're being a good hotelier and you're targeting the right people under the right information, it's all okay. Yeah, you're probably the best part about somebody's day on Facebook if you're giving them <laughs> something to to look forward to, like a vacation. Exactly. Yeah, they, they've seen how many political ads today. They they need something to to escape it. I mean, that's probably not a bad approach, right? With your ads on Facebook, are tired of seeing the the nonsense. You know, play on the donkey versus the elephant, and just say, you need a vacation, regardless of the outcome. You know, go out and vote, and regardless of the outcome of the election, come stay with us. It's probably a compelling message right now. But also, it's. I think it also showcases how important it is for platforms like Flip2 that are going to help you share other people's experiences that have been at your property so that you show up in those feeds from other people and that word gets out naturally like that. Yeah. You know, Flip2 doesn't call its its contributors um, users. They call them advocates. So... They're not evil to so definitely use platforms <laughs> like that. Yeah, I but think I, that multi-level marketing schemes is the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of gone a little extreme in our opinions today. It's, this is, I mean, this is a podcast medium. It, it's If you were having a beer with us, we, we'd probably have this kind of conversation, but it would probably be a little different. We're trying to entertain and educate and maybe provoke some, some questions in yourself. I think we all watched this documentary, mockumentary, whatever you want to call it, with, with the understanding that there was an agenda from the beginning, right? The, by nature, it's the irony of the fact that this documentary is trying to manipulate us by telling us that someone else is manipulating is not lost on us. So watch it with, with that in mind. Um, but take away from it what, what you can. And, and I think if, if nothing else, if you leave watching that documentary saying, you know, I probably do spend a little too much time glued to a screen and I need to enjoy life more. I need to travel more. I need to spend more time with my kids and with quality time. I need to get out a board game or go for a walk. If that comes from it, then, then, then some good has come from both the documentary and from this episode. So we're happy. And then if, if we end up in civil war, then, you know, I guess we're going to hunker down at Pete's house because he just bought a sword so he can defend us all. <laughs> it's a cool sword you want to tell people about the sword and why you bought it no it's uh there was an auction site for an estate and i i bought a what i think is somewhere between a world war one and world war two navy officer sword wait if it was between world war one and world war two there wasn't a war going on no it no, no it was it, it was it was 
made somewhere between I think the 1930s and early 1940s. Okay. But uh, I just bought it because you know I, I like history, and I'll probably end up selling it on eBay. I'm gonna buy it on eBay. Hey, you so, don't have to buy it on eBay. You can just uh, say you want to buy it. Are you gonna give it. me a discount, Pete? Yeah. So hey, you didn't the, you didn't buy it just to defend yourself when you go to the polls? No, it, it's a ceremonial sword, so there's it's not sharp. You can <laughs> take it to the polls just for people don't know that. That's that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy crazy right. dude wearing a, a bowler hat and carrying a sword goes to the polls and terrorizes people in Myrtle Beach. That's going to be the headline. If you're following yeah. the right people on Facebook. <laughs> Indeed. So, so do we want do we want to answer the the burning question that people had from the beginning of the show, like the difference between because you also not only bought a sword, you also bought a hat too. I did. I I I bought a derby. Yeah. So Which we, in in the English was it parlance? It is a same as a bowler hat. Yeah. So bowler hat is the English, and, and derby hat is is the American, but it's essentially the it's, same hat. It's the you Charlie know. Chapman hat. It's, you keep saying Chapman. It's not Chapman. It's Chaplin. Chaplin. Have you okay. have you gone through your whole life calling him Charlie Chapman? All, all we need to know is that everyone understands what kind of hat it is. Was it Reese's <laughs> or Reese's? Yeah, it's even it's the hat's even in black and white. <laughs> so you know it's old. You'd you'd uh, be better like Charlie Chaplin if you just didn't speak right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I love it when you stumble upon something someone said their whole life incorrectly. They thought it was one thing, and then you correct it. It's it's like one it of my hurt. biggest joys in life. Oh, I got one. I got corrected uh, somewhat recently. <laughs> so my entire life, I said, <laughs> like, you know, people say um, straight and narrow. I thought it was straight as an arrow. <laughs> Those are two different phrases that mean different things. Yeah, I was just going to say, I've heard straight as an arrow before. Yeah, you can say both. Uh, I I definitely thought the meaning was the same thing. (laughs) That that is funny. I have a friend that he's, yeah, he's about my age. He's about 43. He has says, instead of mayonnaise his whole life, he says manades. He he thought it was (laughs) M-A-N-A-I-D-S, manades. That's how I've always said it, but I know, like, I know it's. He'd never seen I've... it spelled before, so he just assumed that's what it was. Was mayonnaise? I know people who say sandwich and think it's like S A M, which. I say sandwich. Sandwich. But you know, it's not spelled that. Way. I know it's not spelled that way. Oh no! You know, he 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 might think you never know. Pete thought that Chaplin was Chapman, so who knows. You know, yeah, it, it, if I was actually typing out, I would have probably gotten it right. But I that was a that was a, a hurt. It hurt when you said that, and because so you were right. <laughs> I even corrected you before the show, and you still did it again during the show. So, <sighs> yeah, you didn't listen. You did not listen. All right. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in. This was a different episode, as you could tell. We, this was kind of un, unscripted. Un, I mean, most of our shows are unscripted, but we usually have somewhat of a um, structure to them. So this was more of a unstructured one. If you want more of these, I'd be I'd be happy to do the same. We could do a, a narrative on, um, I don't know, Caravan of Courage and, and Ewok Adventure or something like that next episode. It's some great movie like that. But 
If, you're, if you like this episode, let us know. We can do more things like this where we break things down. If you didn't, let us know too, and we'll never, ever speak of it again, just like Pete will never say Chapman again. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, Melissa, this was your show, so if they want to find you on the interwebs, where can they do that? You may complain to me all you want about how this show went. I am on LinkedIn at Melissa Cavanaugh. K-N-O-U. <laughs> and Phil. Uh, I'm just going to go with LinkedIn, too. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Phil Fariska. And Pete. All right. You can find me on LinkedIn, or you can follow me on Twitter at P P-D-I-M-A-I-O, P-D-I-M-A-I-O, and keep an eye out for a World War One Navy officer sword that might be for sale. <laughs> seeking good home and Brittany yes. if someone wants to I'm, find you where can they do it I'm on LinkedIn too I think <laughs> Brittany Mullins I think that's what it is just my name good for you you're on LinkedIn Brittany super active love it you can find me at Stuart Butler anywhere you choose to you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel both on Twitter and LinkedIn if you want to email us um, then the best way to do that is info at fueltravel.com. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to leave a review. We've had two each of the last two weeks. Please don't let us down. Keep them coming in. We love to get it. It makes us, it gives us a dopamine hit that keeps us addicted to creating these shows just for you. There are no notes to today's show, so we'll just put a link to the Netflix show at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 166. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Oh, 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 before we go, one more thing. Psych, it's not the end yet. So if you're interested in learning more about the fuel products, we're going to be exhibiting at Cyber High Tech this year, which begins on October 27th. So we're going to have information about that on our website pretty soon. We're going to be doing demos of our products. You can come see our virtual booth as well. And so just go on over to fueltravel.com and you will see the info there. Or if you want a personal invite, we have we are allowed to, as a part of the Fuel Nation or the fellow Fueligans, as Phil likes to call you, you can get free entry into Cyber High Tech to all the exhibits, courtesy of your friends here at Fuel Travel. If you want that, just send us an email, info at fueltravel.com, and we will give you a free access to the show. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see you there. And until next time, you have really been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. So let's see. Brittany is still a freelance graphic designer, and I finally updated my LinkedIn profile to not say Urchin 5. Melissa, where will I go to find my bits delivered? I I don't know.